would in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. When I got here this morning, I noticed that we had no tent set up, which it's really nice and beautiful up here. It's a little, little, if I look like I'm squinting, it's because I am. I'm going to try to go without these if possible. But my greatest fear was that we were going to end up with an accident behind us here because of the, the sun glaring off of my head and blinding somebody driving by and and then we would end up with a lawsuit or something like that and I don't know it wouldn't be a good thing but so just pray that as people drive by that they've got their glasses on and there's no glare that distracts them uh, we're, we're gonna this week and next week are just gonna be kind of their uh, I guess one-off sermons is what you would call them uh, not really gonna be going through a book of the Bible yet I'm going to be going to a conference, uh, not this week, but next week, and then when I come back, we'll start another series. Um, I'll let you know what that is soon, but um, wanted to just talk about a few things that are, I think, appropriate for what we're going through in our day and age, and also appropriate for what we talked about last week. We ended last week, we finished up the book of Ruth. If you were here, you were able to uh, enjoy that journey with us. We looked last week at the importance of, of being able to zoom out a little bit in, in life and being able to see things um, with a bigger picture in mind, not always just focused in on the details, but, but being able to focus in on some of the bigger things that God is doing and some of the more spiritual things and some of the eternal things and to know that in every detail of life, whether it be good or bad, that God has a purpose in it and that he is working all things for our good, according to Romans 8.28, right? He's working everything for our good and for his glory. It doesn't mean that we're always going to understand it, nor does it mean that we're always going to like it. Um, but what it does mean is, is that God has a purpose in everything. And so we can go through life with confidence, even in the most challenging times of life, that he is purposefully doing something for our good. And he's maturing us, he's changing us, he is transforming us into the image of Christ. Uh, Romans 8, he promises that all of us who are in Christ will be uh, transformed into the image of Christ. And I, I, I've often said that if we only knew how far we were away from the goal, we would get why it's so difficult if we only knew that the goal that to be in Christ's image, perfectly in Christ's image, and to acknowledge that we're, we're light years away from that, and, and, and yet that's why it's so hard. That's why the, it's, it's like the guy who comes off the couch and wants to run in the Olympics next year. It's not going to be easy. Right? It's not going to be simple. He's going to have to be challenged and, and pushed and sacrificed and suffering and difficulty. And all of those things are going to be a part of it if he's going to make it into the Olympics next year or five years or whatever. When we realize how far we are away from where we're going, and by the grace of God, listen, if you're a Christian this morning, by the grace of God, you will arrive. It's the most encouraging thing is the moment you leave this life, you enter into that perfection that you have strived for your whole life and sought after and pursued. You enter into that when you leave this world and enter into the presence of the most holy God. You become perfectly in Christ's image. The Bible even tells us in 1 John 3 that we will be just like him. It's an amazing promise that is, is often when we look at our own lives and see how far we are from that, it's an amazing promise that we can, um, we can cling to as Christians. This morning, what I want to talk to you a little bit about is discernment. Um, we talked about that whole, again, last week, that whole being able to zoom out and see, and see the world from different perspectives. And we need to have some discernment. We live in a generation where discernment is so important. And so as the world declines, it's so important that we be able to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment is not the ability, being a discerning person is not the ability to distinguish between what's good and what's bad. He said, being a discerning person is the ability to distinguish between what's good and what's almost good. 
In other words, there's a lot of things in life that are right there on the brink of being good. And a discerning person is, is one who is able to make that distinction, not just between black and white, but between white and gray. And between black and gray. And being able to discern those things is, is so important in, in life as we come closer to what I would say would be the end of the world as we know it where the Lord is going to come back and take His church out of here. The Bible says in, uh, all throughout Scripture that things are going to get worse and worse and worse. They're not going to get better. They're not going to get easier on Christians. They're not going to become um, uh, more um, pleasant for us. They're going to become more challenging for us. And, and, and discernment, in these, discernment in these decisions that we make in life, the directions that we go, is going to be critical because I want you to remember this. I, I told this to my kids recently. And I don't remember which one it was, but I, I was just sharing with one of them. And I said, I said, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember this. A path is not just a path. It has a destination. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, that I can be on any path and it's just going to be fine. Because it, it, they don't, people don't often think of the fact that there's a destination to that path. And then, you know, people get the idea of just, you know, dating people that aren't believers and just, just kind of doing things that aren't, aren't good. And, and then one day they end up and they're thinking about marrying somebody who's not a follower of Christ. But they don't consider that in the journey. That's discernment. Discernment is when you're able to look at your path and realize that there's a destination to that path. For unbelievers, for an unbeliever, discernment is something that they do not have. And discernment is something that's not available to them. We may think of an unbeliever as a discernible, per, discerning person, but, but discernment, according to Scripture, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 2, discernment is directly connected to having the mind of Christ. You have to have the mind of Christ before you can be a properly discerning person. And, and I would say this to you. I'm, Michael and I were talking this morning. He was, we were talking about the whole Matthew 25 texts with the with the 10 virgins and you know our our heart our burden I guess together was that the interesting thing when you compare Matthew 7 the man who built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the sand the 10 virgins they all have oil on their lamps they're all going to the same wedding the interesting thing about both of them is that if you look at them you see absolutely nothing different about either one of them. The house built on the rock and the house built on the sand, the houses were exactly the same. The only part that was different was the part that was under the ground that nobody could see and nobody could tell. But when a test came, when an utter trial came, and an ultimate trial comes into their life, that's when the, the under the ground became exposed. And the scary thing is, is that is that exposure was an eternal problem for those people. In the same way with the ten, with the ten virgins, it's like five, ten of them had oil, ten of them were going to the wedding, but when the moment came that the, bride, the groom came by, only five of them were ready and five of them were not ready. And then we were just talking about how valuable it is to be on, to be, watchful of your walk with the Lord every single day of your life. It's not just, oh, I, I did this many years ago, or I, I filled my lamp up back then. It, it's, it's, are you walking with Christ today? And that's what 1 John deals with, the whole book of 1 John. So in, this, in Matthew 16, we have, some, we have some instruction, if you will, on being a discerning person, and having a proper, having a right discernment. And, and again, remember, 2 Corinthians 2, it's just having the mind of Christ, flowing through you, thinking thinking like Christ would think. Uh, I think of what he says in Philippians. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, thinking like Christ would think. So what is discernment or what is, remember this, discernment comes from perspective. We get a perspective of something and we, and we develop a discernment based upon our perspective or another way of saying that would be our filter. We have, everyone has a filter by which they view life. And if you have the proper filter, you'll have good discernment. If you have the, an improper filter, you'll have bad discernment. So the filter that you live with, and we're going to call that this morning perspective. The filter that you have 
of how you view life, how you view circumstances and situations, that filter is going to determine whether or not you're a discerning person, a, a spiritually discerning person. So what is our perspective? Let me give you a few analogies here to help maybe understand it. Um, if, you've never, if you've ever known somebody who saw, who saw something completely the opposite of the way that you saw it, they were looking at the same thing, they were evaluating the same thing, but it seemed like they came to a completely different conclusion. What you see, what you're seeing is, is you're seeing someone's perspective. We're looking at the same object. We're looking at it exactly the same way. We have the same eyes to see it, but there's something there that's causing two individuals to see the exact same thing completely the opposite way. If you've ever shared somebody, if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody who, was, who had no spiritual life in them and they were completely resistant to the gospel, what you're seeing is, is you're seeing their perspective of the gospel. And their perspective would po- likely be very, very different from your perspective. If you've ever been to a baseball game or a football game, you will see two groups of fans. One group of, there'll be a call on the field and that call will be the same call. There's nothing different about that call, but those fans will respond completely differently to that call, won't they? One side of the stadium will cheer that that, that official made the greatest call he's ever made in his life. The other side of the stadium will moan that that official is blind and needs glasses, and they'll offer him other glasses. You have the exact same call being made, but what do you not have? What do you have as well? You have perspective. The way, the filter that people have by which they're viewing that moment is is determining how they respond to that moment. You watch two teams play a game and you see the ending score. And the ending score is exactly the same for both teams. The facts are there. It was 50 to 40. One side of the stadium is cheering. The other side of the stadium is crying. Well, does it make sense, right? It's the same information, but perspective matters. How are they viewing that score? What is determining their response to the information, to the factual information that is before them? What is determining that? And that is ultimately what their filter is. A perspective or a filter is simply something through which we interpret the world and everything in it. Webster describes it this way, the appearance to the eye of objects in respect to relative distance and position. The Greek for this word in the New Testament is to exercise the mind, comprehend, consider, and think. A perspective is how things appear to you or how you see things. Black and white versus gray. Maybe you're a black and white person. Maybe you're a gray person. That's your perspective. Flesh versus faith, visible versus invisible, physical versus spiritual, law versus grace, near versus far, minor detail versus big picture, hope versus hopeless. All of these things are about our perspective. How are we viewing things? How do we see things? And again, I just say that we live in a a day and age where discernment is so crucial. It's critical that we be a discerning people that we have a biblical perspective of discernment. And that's what Matthew 16 gives us. We're going to read, actually read the entire chapter. And I just want to give you this morning uh, what determines our perspective, four dangerous perspectives, and then three divine perspectives, or three biblical perspectives. So if you want to uh, follow along with me, And I'll make a few comments as we go. Um, The Bible says, And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When is the evening? And when it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy weather, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. Note that's perspective. That's discernment. They know how to discern the appearance of the sky. They're good at discerning that which is natural, right? They can see the sky and they, we see clouds rolling in. We, we perceive that it's going to rain. We're able to see those natural things, right? 
But he's not going to leave it there. He's going to rebuke them for that. You're able to see and discern that which is natural, but what they were not able to do is see and discern that which was supernatural. He goes on and says, It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. And the sign of Jonah is simply three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Now, I want you to note something here. The previous passage of Scripture is full of miracles. It's full of the supernatural. The Lord does many miracles in the Gospels to show us His power and His might. Remember this. When, remember when Jesus um, heals the man who is, who, is, um, who is lame? And He says to them, He says, they challenge Him. The Pharisees challenge Him. And He says to them, Is it easier for a man to heal the lame or to say, Your sins be forgiven you? In other words, what he is saying is is that the healing that I'm about to uh, uh, perform is meant to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, which is far more important than the power to heal the lame. So we see here their discerning ability to discern the, the weather, but not their discerning ability to perceive the supernatural, the things that God is doing, the power that God has in each situation and each circumstance. He goes on to say, when the disciples reached the other side, they, have, they, had gotten, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, is aware of, but Jesus being aware of this said, O ye of little faith, Why are you you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, do you not discern, do you not have discernment is what he's saying? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak to you about bread? He's not talking about bread. They they don't understand this because they're focused in on the the natural, the physical, not able to see the spiritual at all. He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 13 Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice that he says, on this rock, not referring to Peter being the foundation of the church, but for the foundation of the church being discerning the gospel, being able to discern being able to discern spiritual from physical, being able to discern natural from supernatural, that is the rock that Jesus Christ is building His church on. His church is being being built on the fact that we can discern between that which is not important and that which is very important. We can discern what the gospel is from from a spiritual perspective. Listen, it was, an, it was easy for them to want bread the next day after they uh, were fed, after Jesus fed 5,000. It was easy for them to see that. It wasn't easy for them to see that Jesus wasn't even talking about bread. That's what the gospel, that's what Christianity is being built on. That's what the church will be built on. 
It will not be built on people casually looking at things in life, but it will be built on people taking a bigger view and having discernment on what is right and what is wrong, especially as it relates to the gospel. The gospel is not something that benefits us physically in this life, but has totally an eternal nature to it and is meant to benefit us spiritually in this life. You can't look at any of the disciples and say that their life physically was blessed. You can't. They all died martyrs. They all suffered. They were stoned. They were boiled in oil. They were sawn. I mean, this is, this is Hebrews 11. But yet he calls them blessed over and over again. Why? Because of their perspective. They could see right. They could discern because they saw from God's perspective and not from man's. This is what Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4 when he calls his own affliction. He says that our affliction is light and temporary. No one would call Paul's suffering light and temporary if they had any sense in their head at all. Paul was the most suffering man that existed on the earth during this time. But he saw himself from God's perspective. He saw through an eternal discernment, which made all the difference in the world. The church is going to be built on a, a, a discernment that's able, to, that's able to cut between the, that which is physical and that which is spiritual. A church that's built around the physical folks is not going to be a thriving church. And I mean thriving from God's perspective, not from man's perspective, because they're different. He goes on to say, then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And just note this, everyone that he just mentioned is super spiritual people. These would be the five virgins that didn't have enough oil in their lamp. These would be the house that was built upon the sand. These are the religious leaders amongst the Jewish people. That's who he's suffering from. He, he, he ate with the drunks and the prostitutes. He didn't suffer from them, did he? They weren't his problem. They didn't cause him any problem. Matter of fact, he converted a lot of them. The super religious people were his problem. He says, I must suffer from uh, many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Listen to what Peter says here. It's, a, it's extraordinary. Peter is trying to talk Jesus out of saving the world. Peter's perspective, Peter's discernment is completely off track here. He's not seeing things from God's perspective. He's seeing things from Peter's perspective. If we were standing there with Peter, we would tell Jesus exactly the same thing. Why? Because we're fleshly. Our discernment is, di is distorted by our fleshliness. Jesus, you will never die. I will, I will never let you die. He says, I will die with you if, if you die. Can you imagine if Peter's prayer to Jesus would have been answered? We would all be condemned eternally. You think Peter wanted that? I think in that moment, Peter was thinking about one person and one person alone. You know who that was? Take a guess. His name starts with a P. He was thinking about Peter. That's all he was thinking about in that moment. I cannot lose my friend. This is wrong discernment. This is bad discernment. This is unbiblical discernment. And the Lord doesn't just deal with it lightly. He took Peter aside and began to rebuke him, saying, um, let, let me go on, verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Whoa. Do you, know what, you know, do you know what Jesus was saying to Peter? Peter, your perspective is Satan's perspective. Your discernment is demonic. You cannot discern the will of God. He says that very thing to him. He says, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's a hard statement, isn't it? 
I mean, I can't even receive a statement like that from a friend, much less from the Son of God. He tore Peter apart. Peter would later be used by God in an amazing way. But listen to me. Peter could never have preached Pentecost had this event not happened and had the denial of Jesus Christ three times not happened and broke Peter. And you know what he broke Peter of? He broke Peter of Peter. Listen, you'll never be used of God to the extent that God could use you until he breaks you of you. We are our greatest enemy when it comes to spiritual things. The flesh is the enemy of the spirit. True? True? Fear is the enemy of faith. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, this is, this is the antithesis of man's thinking. If you lose your life, you will save it. But if you save your life, you will lose it. Does that make any sense at all? It does if you have God's discernment. It makes no sense to this world at all. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come from his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I'm going to just give you some thoughts just really quickly. I know I spent a lot of time walking through the text. I hope it makes sense to you in the text. There are four dangerous perspectives that we see in this text, and I just want you to consider them and then consider three what I would call divine, divine discernment or divine perspectives. The first one, and I want to read Matthew 13, uh, a few verses in there before we get to these four. The Bible says, Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see, but do not see it and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. In, in other words, there's a lot of people that are seeking to understand these things, but can't. And I, and I want to say this. If you go back in Matthew 13, what you will find is this. Here's how people are looking. Here's how these Pharisees, if you will, these people who are prophets and righteous people longing to see these things, here's how they're looking for them. And this is my challenge to you. They're looking for them like this. Or they're looking for them like this. They're listening for them like this. The reason why the righteous people and the, and the, and the, um, the righteous people and the prophets do not understand in this text is because they're not willing to submit to what the Lord has already given them. In other words, the Lord has already revealed things to them. He's talking about in Matthew 13, revealing further secrets to them. You do not receive further secrets because you, are, because you see, but you do not see. You will not receive greater secrets because you hear, but you will not hear. You refuse to listen to what God is saying to you. Therefore, you will not grow in further, in further mysteries. God will not reveal greater things to you because you refuse to hear what he's already said. One of the greatest ways that we grow as Christians is we listen to what he says when we're baby Christians and we just keep on listening. I think one of the dangers that we face today, and Michael and I were sharing this this morning as well, we shared a little bit this morning, was as we get quote-unquote older as Christians, we listen less to the Lord. Let me give you these things. Number one, these are four dangerous discernments. Number one is looking past the supernatural, but seeing only the natural. Looking past the supernatural, but seeing and seeing only the natural. In other words, you're able to look at the sky and you can discern when things are coming. You're able to see all of these things and understand these things, but you're not able to see when God is working in the supernatural realm. This is a, this is a filter that is based totally on what is physical. You only believe what you can see, touch, and feel. You lean on that which is physical. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. Biblical discernment is not 
trusting in what you can see, touch, and feel, but it's, it's trusting in what you can't see, what you can't touch, and what you can't feel. God is an invisible God, and God works in the realm of the invisible. And faith is trusting in what you can't see. It's not trusting in what you can see. Faith is believing in something that you can't believe is going to happen, but you believe it anyway because God said it. When God told Abraham that he was going to have a child in, in uh, Romans 4, they're, they're focusing back into the Old Testament. Abraham says, against belief he believed. Meaning it wasn't possible for him to believe that was going to actually happen, but Abraham believed it. And guess what? All of us are built on that type of faith if we're Christians, right? Our father is the Lord, and Abraham is our father in, in the faith. His faith has been passed down to all those who believe. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And others, passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we look at things that are, we, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We look, it doesn't say we, not, we look not at the things that are seen. It says we, knew, we look not to them. Does that make sense? I, I look to something for help. I look to something for deliverance. I look to something for to get something in return. We do not look to things that we can see. We look to things that we cannot see. Why? Because we trust in the supernatural way more than we depend on the natural. That's a great statement, isn't it? It's really not. It's a simple statement that very few of us believe. I mean, that's the reality. It's a statement that very few of us believe. We might know it here, but when it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, do we really look to the things that are invisible and not to the things that are visible? You have to answer that question for yourself between you and the Lord. That's discernment. Discernment is looking and seeing that what you can't see. It's looking to what you cannot see for help. Number two. Looking past, the second danger is looking past spiritual needs to fleshly needs. When the disciples are hungry, the Lord is like, wow, you need spiritual strength. You need the word. You need bread from heaven. The disciples are like, what about the bread that you fed yesterday? Can we get some of that? What, what is that? It's physical discernment. It's discerning things based upon what you physically need. Bible says that the three things in 1 John that are the enemy of our relationship with God, one of them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the desire of the heart. In other words, what you need, what you want, and what will praise you. So this is the need area. The need of your physical body becomes an obstacle to the need of your spiritual life. And they're like, Lord, can we get some bread? Can we get some fish? Can we get some of this stuff? I get that you don't want us to eat any that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are making. They don't make very good bread, right? No, what he's saying to them is there's something more. There's something spiritual here. Look beyond the physical. Look into the spiritual. The second dangerous perspective is, or discernment is, looking past, looking past the spiritual to only the physical. Number three, looking past God's plan to human desires. We read it already about Peter. God had an eternal plan, didn't he? From the foundation of the world, Acts 2.23 says that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The work of Christ was an eternally planned work. Before the foundation of the world, it was determined that Christ Jesus would die for the sins of his people. And yet Peter tells Jesus, don't die. The reason Peter tells Jesus that is because Peter wants something different. And I will submit to you that on many occasions, my friends, we want something different than God wants. The danger from that is, is the result of what we want is going to go a different direction than the result of what God wants. Most of us want the end result that God promises, but we want to walk there on our own path, don't we? The path has a result. You get on the right path and you end up in the right place. 
You get on the wrong path and you end up in the wrong place. Looking past God's plans to what you want and what you desire. What a dangerous place that we can be in when it comes to this. Number four, the last one, is looking past sacrifice as the means to gain. Looking past sacrifice as the means to gain. You know what Jesus says if you want to get ahead in this text you have to do? You want to get ahead in life? Lose your life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Is that what we see in the self-help books today? You want to get ahead in life? You want to succeed in life? You got to just deny yourself, die to yourself, lose yourself, not seek to save your life. Is that what we're seeing you know why? Because it's the difference between divine perspective, divine discernment, and human perspective, and human discernment. And remember, the path that you're on has a destination. We have the wrong view of getting ahead, or the wrong view of gain, getting ahead, having much money, having many friends, having great assets, having good health, having power and, and, and position in life. We have the wrong perspective of what gain is, first of all, then we have the wrong perspective of how to get gain. In God's economy, listen to this, in God's economy, living is dying. Leading is serving. Getting is giving. Success is trust. Seeing is blindness. Last is first. This is God's economy. This is God's discernment. This is God's way. And all other things that point to a different path, I guarantee you, the world will not tell you that living is dying. The world will not tell you that leading is serving. The world will not tell you that getting is giving. But this is what God tells us. And we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, and therefore we become accountable to follow Jesus Christ. It's kind of like a crazy thing, right? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and then he expects us to actually follow him? You know what he says in the book of Luke? He says, why do you call me Lord? I mean, think about this. This is a harsh statement. Why do you call me Lord and not keep my commandments? That's hard. But the question is very, very valid, isn't it? 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So many other things that we could look at this morning, but we won't. I want to give you three things, divine perspective. We find these in verse 13 down to verse 20. I just want to give you three of them. In this passage of Scripture, we see a divine discernment. What is divine discernment? Number one, it's hearing God's voice. Now, Peter heard the voice of God. When, he made, when Peter makes a statement that is, that is obviously all of the discernment around Peter is just like horrible, right? And then Peter makes a statement that seems to, seems to hit the mark, right? It's like, whoa, Peter! Wow, that's great, Peter. You are just telling me I'm not going to die. You are just telling me don't die, you know, a selfish Peter. But he hits the mark. And why does he hit the mark? Jesus says it this way. Here's why you hit the mark, Peter. Because flesh and blood hath not taught this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. In other words, there's something divine about Peter's moment here. All amongst all of his bad discernment, he says something that is right, and the Lord doesn't give him any credit for it at all. He gives all credit to the Father who is in heaven. It is in that moment that we see God speaking through Peter to make a statement that Peter would never have made on his own. It's no different than the thief on the cross, the one that gets saved. Just six hours before that, he is saying exactly the same thing that the other thief said. He's mocking Jesus. He's ridiculing Jesus. He's railing on Jesus. But when he's hanging on that cross, God does a work in that man's heart that transforms him, that he speaks the words of God. He hears God's voice. Peter hears and he speaks forth that which is divine. He speaks forth that is, which is spiritual. He speaks forth that which is right. I want you to remember this. It is the Father's voice in this text 
it is ministered through the Son, who is the Word. And know this, the Word of God is the only source that we have of the voice of God. If you want to hear God's voice today, you must get into the Word of God's voice. You must open the Bible to hear God's voice. He is going to speak to you through what He wrote to you already. He is the, it is the Father's voice speaking in the Son and teaching us by and through the Holy Spirit. God's Word is the message. God's Spirit is the messenger. And one is useless without the other. In other words, you must have both the Word of God and the Spirit of God in order to understand the Heavenly Father. So the first thing is, is you've got to hear God's voice. The only way that we speak from divine, a divine discernment, folks, is to speak from God's word. It's the only divine thing about this world. It's the only divine thing that we have left is the Son of God communicated to us in the word of God. So what do we do? We speak forth God's word. Why? Because that is discernment. Truth must come from God's word. We have so much philosophy in our world today of people saying things that are, yes, they sound intellectual and yes, they sound smart, but you couldn't find them in the word of God if you, if you read between every line. And yet we, 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 we take them in as if they're truth as much as the word of God is. We spend far less time studying the Word of God and far more time following philosophies and philosophers. Do we believe this morning that this is the only truth, the only absolute truth we have today? Do we believe that? That this is the only thing that we can be a thousand percent sure that when we open it, it will tell us the truth? I think so. You know what? This is the only thing, according to Hebrews 4 and verse 12, that can discern between flesh and spirit. It's the only thing that can discern between natural and supernatural. It's the only thing that can discern between my will and God's will. It cuts, and it cuts painfully between those things. Listen to the voice of God in His Word. Number two, the second thing about having a proper discernment is choosing self-denial. We see this at the end. If you want to have life, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself in order to see things from God's perspective. Matter of fact, as long as we walk through life without denying ourselves, we will never see things from God's perspective. The denial of self is what moves us into a discernment that is a biblical discernment. Self will always interfere with true biblical discernment. If you're living for your flesh, you will look at the Bible from the perspective of how you can benefit from it, not how God benefits from it. You've got to deny yourself in order to see the riches of the discernment that is in God's Word, the lessons, the instructions that are there. See life and get answers after self has been completely put away. God's view of life will only be obtained when man has stopped thinking about himself. We will never see things God's way until we stop looking at them selfishly. Remember this, Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes. I just wish he said some men's way is right in his own eyes. I, I could have dealt with that. But he says, every man's way, listen to me, Every man's way is right in his own eyes. You think it's crazy that you believe what you believe? Of course you're going to believe what you believe because every man's way is right in his own eyes. How do we know if it is right? How do we know if, if, if everything I believe is going to be right to me, which is what the Bible says, how do I know if that's right? There's only one way, and that is through the Word of God. It is the only means of discernment that's there that we can open up and it will tell us, hey, John, you're wrong. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to hopefully fix my discernment. It's a truth that is outside of us, not in us. Choosing self-denial. It is easy to see, it is easy in life to see loss 
when God sees gain, to see digression when God sees progression, to see defeat when God sees success, to, things, to see things natural when God sees things spiritual. Oftentimes, our perspective is the opposite of God's. Job 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord has given, and the Lord will take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a different perspective, isn't it? The last thing this morning, the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, of having the right perspective is exalting Christ. Why do we, it says at the very last of this chapter, it says, lose your life to gain it. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. If you desire to lose, if you desire to gain your life, you will lose it. If you desire to lose your life, you will gain it. If you go throughout all your life and you gain everything that you ever wanted and ever imagined, but lose your own soul, what profit is it to you? In other words, if you go through this life and you get everything that you could ever imagine, great health, great wealth, great relationships, great big house, great big car, if you get everything that you want, but you leave this life and you enter an eternal condemnation of hell forever, what gain has that been to you? And the answer is, it's a rhetorical question. Literally, there is no gain to you. That is why your your best life now is not your best life now. We're not looking for a life that's here. We're looking for eternal life. So why are we willing to lose our life, to deny ourselves, to lose all? We're willing to do it. Listen, I'm not going to read the text again, but you can read it. We're willing to do it because Jesus is worthy. That's it. That's what this is all about. That's why he concludes this text with Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's worthy of our of our sacrifice. He's worthy of our letting go of things. He's worthy of our living life sacrificially. He's worthy of it. Why? Because he is God. Let me write, let me give you a few things here that he says in this text. He says, Jesus is worthy because he is Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is worthy because he's coming back. John 14 and verse one through six, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I will not leave you here. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. He is worthy because he's not only coming back, but he's he's coming back with a reward for all of those who trust him and deny themselves. You want to talk about an award ceremony. It's going to make the Olympic award ceremony look like a walk in the park. There's There's an award ceremony that's coming in heaven for all of those who have denied themselves, who have made a sacrifice for Jesus in this life that Jesus Christ is going to reward it a hundredfold. You believe that? I think this might be more information. Any sacrifice and obedience to Christ will be rewarded handsomely in heaven. He is the king and his kingdom is eternal and our home will be with him forever for all of those who trust and obey. The Lord's prayer closes with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And listen to me, folks. That is what it's all about. Jesus concludes his message, his instruction here, with if you go through life with a selfish selfish filter, seeing only that which is physical, seeing only that which you need, desire, and can accomplish by your own strength, and you obtain everything that you see, need, and ever would want, He concludes with, what have you gained? Because you will lose your own soul. But if you're here this morning and you're willing to deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross and see things through the Bible. See things through God's filter. Be a biblically discerning person. If you're able and willing to be a biblical discerning person, you will seek that which is supernatural. You will believe in that which is invisible and you will follow after the divine will of God as it opposes the human will of man. I'm thankful this morning that God did not give Peter what he wanted. And I'm also thankful that God hasn't given me everything that I've wanted as well. The Bible says in the end that he will save you.
my prayer this morning is simply this, that we become, that we be, not necessarily become, maybe grow in. I hope that we, we are somewhat, but I think that we are honest with ourselves. We would have to be honest and say that we're, we haven't arrived at discernment. If we took a biblical perspective of what discernment is, I think that we would say we're not there. I would say that for myself. I think it's an area that we can all grow in. But I also know this, that it's not going to happen unless we take a real deep look at God's Word, spend time in it, really, really, really seeking to know His heart in it, totally denying ourselves. No desires, no wants, no needs, no um, pride infiltrating or filtering the way we view God's Word. Total emptiness, seeing God's Word for what He meant it to be red ass. If we're able to do that and exalt Christ in everything, I believe that we can be discerning people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together this morning. I pray that you would help us. Help us to know your heart. Help us to know your will. Help us to know your way. Help us to be on your path and know that it has a destination. And Lord, to faithfully walk on it, knowing that it's painful, knowing that it's difficult, knowing that it's got a lot of hills, and we have to climb those hills. Lord, help us not to be like Orpah that we learned last week in Ruth who made the, a little bit of the journey but walked away. Help us not to be like the five virgins who had enough oil to get them a, a, a certain distance, but when it all came down to it, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living within them. Help us not to be the people whose houses are built upon sand that is earthly and, and, and unstable. And then when the storms of life come, it crumbles under those storms and they find themselves ultimately to be condemned by God. Lord God, help us to, to dig into your word for your truths, to humbly and selflessly receive them as you would have us to, and to exalt Christ as a result of it. For Lord, it all points to him. Please bless us today with your guidance and direction. Thank you for bringing us here together in Jesus Christ's name.